You're listening to the King's Church DC podcast. King's Church is located in the heart of Washington DC and exists to make Jesus known in our city through enduring presence that brings personal conversion, purposeful living, and community reconciliation. We hope you enjoy the following sermon. All right, so you're gonna have to bear with me. It's been a while. Last time I was up here was it? How old is how old is Harper? So the last time I was up here was two and a half years ago. <laughs> Not because they haven't asked, but because I've just I've declined every time. <laughs> but Merry Christmas. You know, Merry Christmas, it is a time to be joyous. It's a time for us to remember the faith that we have and why we do what we do. You know? And Ben kind of he said it, you know, this year has not been the easiest for me personally. You know, there's been a lot of ups and downs. There's been a lot of just lows this year. You know, even I love Christmas time. Letty will tell you there are times where I'm just like, okay, it's November 1st. Where's the Christmas music? You know, let's do it. I'm all about it. I put the tree up, you know, weeks before Thanksgiving and I'm just all about it. And this year, this year was kind of different. This year was a little bit harder. You know, I was like, God, I just want to enjoy the season. Just forget everything else this year has had. Let's just help me to enjoy you. Help me to remember why I do what I do. Why you have us here. And that's where this passage picks up. You know, so last week, Wesley preached on Isaiah chapter 7. And that prophecy there is the one that talks about God with us. A child will be born to the virgin called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And so you have Isaiah now going into chapter 9, and he's going to give another prophecy, and that prophecy is going to build on chapter 7. And what it's going to do is it's going to give more details as to who this child is going to be and what he's going to do and the result of his kingship. But before we can do that, we need to read a little bit before that in chapter 8 because that's really going to give the setting of what's going on here. Um, So let's just dive into it. Let's read chapter 8, verse 16 through 22. And he says, "'Bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples.'" I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs importance in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living, to the teaching and to the testimony? If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land, greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. See, so as we read that, you know, it's very dark and gloomy. You know, and and I love movies. Anybody that knows me knows I love movies. I like entertainment. And so one of the quotes that came to mind was from, of course, one of the best movies of all time, The Dark Knight. Right, exactly. See, thank you. And it's Harvey Dent, and he says, The night is darkest just before the dawn, and I promise you the dawn is coming. You see, what is happening here is that the people of southern Israel, the the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, are following King Ahaz, who is not necessarily following Christ or following God, and listening to Isaiah. And so Isaiah is telling them, listen, the kingdom of of Assyria is going to come. It's going to get really dark for you. There's going to be gloom and there's going to be anguish. You're going to go throughout the land and you're going to, you're going to be in need. You're going to get angry and enraged with God. He is setting up the stage for this prophecy 
But before that prophecy can be, can be fulfilled, before he can tell them the good news, he's telling them it's going to get very dark. It's going to get dark and gloomy. And things are going to go very sideways for you. And so that's where we pick up in chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, is he's talking to a people in this setting. He's talking to a people that they, they haven't even experienced this yet. But he's saying this is what's going to happen. And so the title of this message is God is still with us. So last week's with God is with God with us. This week said God is still with us because that is what's happening. Not, you know, they have the prophecy of the child, but now he's saying it's going to get dark, but you know what? God is still with you. God still has you. So don't lose hope. And so the main idea as well of this message is we can trust that God is still with us. So I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if you're joyous this time of year. I don't know if things have happened this year that have you down. I don't know if, you know, it's just bad memories. But you know what? God has you. God is still with you, and God will bring light. So let's jump into chapter 9. So chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, we'll read them together, and then, you know, we'll get to, we'll just jump in. Let's do this. So he says, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You see, so what Isaiah is saying is, yes, it's going to get really dark. You're going to be in anguish. There's going to be gloom. But you know what? There is hope. There is hope. That's the first point this morning is there is hope in the darkness. There is hope in the darkness. No matter where you're at this morning, there is hope in the darkness because Christ is risen. Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he is interceding on our behalf. So whether or not you have a relationship with him, today is that day. Today you have the opportunity to understand and to see that, you know what, God is for you. To see that he has set this plan into motion from the book of Genesis, from the creation of the world until now. And so he tells them, yes, it's going to be dark, but there will be gloom. There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. So if we can go ahead and throw up the map that's up. So if you see, if you look at the map on the right, you're going to see that's the, that's the tribes of Judah. So if you look at where Naphtali and Zebulun are towards the top, you know, this, this Aram area, the Arameans, is where, where Assyria is going to come from. And so they are held in contempt by the nation because if they had held their borders, then the Assyrians could not have conquered them. But because they fell, that's exactly what happens. The Assyrians will come. The Assyrians will take over the entire northern section of the nation. And all that will be left is Judah and Benjamin. The two out of the ten tribes are the only things that's going to be left. And that's what, this, that's what he's referencing. He's saying, this is what's going to happen. The all, you know, you're going to hold them in contempt. And it's going to feel hopeless. And it's going to be dark. And it's going to be gloomy. But it's not over yet. They, they, they're going to watch their people be dispersed. Because what the Assyrians did is they would come in, they'd conquer a nation, they'd remove the, the people of that land, and they'd bring in foreigners and put them there. So that way it was easier to control the conquered land, the conquered nation. So what's going to happen is it's the people of God are going to see the very land that God has given them taken away and inhabited by foreigners inhabited by people that are not God's people. Imagine that. You know, seeing everything God has given you stripped away and saying, you know what, what God, what are you doing? 
why are you doing this? You know, I've, I've asked those questions this year. God, what in the world are you doing? Have I not done everything you've asked of me? Have I not been faithful in this and that? You know, but God cares more about our righteousness and our sanctification than he does our timeline, than he does our personal preferences. And although he was going to let this, this kingdom be conquered eventually in totality, first the Assyrians take the 10 and then the Babylonians would come and take the last two. What Isaiah is telling him is it's not over yet. What Isaiah is saying is, you know what? There's still hope because God has a plan and God is in control. There is still hope in the darkness, despite the gloom, despite everything you might think. So I don't know where you're at this morning, but Jesus Christ loves you. I don't know if you're dark and twisty. I don't know if this season is just brutal because maybe what happened last year or maybe what you're going through at the moment. But Jesus Christ loves you. He died on the cross for you. And this prophecy is all about him. And so this next part, it says, but in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. If we can go back to that slide, Nick, please. Sorry. So if we jump forward to Israel at the time of Jesus, you will see that same spot, Galilee, and now you see Capernaum, and you see all these other places. And that's where the Samaritans are. That's where these unclean nations are. And yet, when we jump to Matthew chapter 4, we see Jesus saying, Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region, in shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So you see, this very area that was held in contempt, this very area that was despised because they they saw them as being failures, God was not finished with them. That is exactly where Jesus starts his ministry, is with the people that were not his own, with a people called the Gentiles of the nations, the people that were not God's people. So what does that mean for us? Like, Brad, that's fantastic. I see, okay, Isaiah, it's fulfilled with Jesus. What does that mean for me? What that, what that means is that you matter. What that means is that God went out of his way to make sure that that area would be where Jesus started. God is capable of fulfilling his his plan. God is capable of dealing with the issues in our lives. God is capable of helping us and meeting us right where we are at. So this Christmas season, this Christmas message, part two of Advent, I implore you to trust Christ. If you don't know him already, this morning you have the opportunity to put your faith in Jesus and to put your faith in the God who started this plan from the beginning of time until now, and he will continue to fulfill that. Because what this means, this, this, this Galilee of the nations, is that you and I have the ability to, to have this relationship with Christ. We have the ability to accept the gospel because it wasn't just for the Jews, but it was for everybody. And so there is hope in this darkness. He's telling them, do not give up. God is not finished with you yet. And even though the nation will be conquered, even though they would go through this time of deep, deep darkness, and it'd be hundreds of years later, Christ would show up. Christ would fulfill this prophecy, and he would change everything. 
So this morning, no matter how dark things get, God has you. No matter how dark you might feel or how hopeless you might feel, trust in Christ. Because he is the one who gives hope in the darkness. He is the one who brought the gospel to the Gentiles. He is the one who is fulfilling this prophecy. And he is redeeming Zebulun and Naphtali. And so our second point this morning is joy in the light. We have joy in the light. So you're going to see he's giving them that hope, but then he's telling them the effects. Once this has happened, once he's made way the glorious path by the sea, there's going to be joy as a result. And he tells them, you have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy, and they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. You see what, in the Old Testament, when you read, you have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy, what it, what what it talks about, what they were expecting is that the nation's boundaries will be blessed. The nation will be grown and its boundaries will increase. So you see that as you read first, you know, books like 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, Kings, it will often tell you at the end of this certain king, for example, Saul, the nation's boundaries were X, Y, and Z. You go to King David, at the end of King David's reign, the nation's boundaries were X, Y, and Z. So for the ethnic Jew, for God's people reading this during Isaiah's time, or in, you know, even in Jesus' time, they thought, okay, we're going to have a king. He's going to show up. He's going to be the Messiah. He's going to be the Lord, and our nation will be reestablished, and it will be blessed, and it will prosper, and it will be thriving. But that's not what's happened. You know, but that is why whenever you see Jesus show up in the Gospels, the religious leaders are like, okay, they're expecting him to conquer Rome. They're expecting him to bring freedom to the nation once again, the nation of Israel, and for them to have all of this. But that's not what happens. Instead, you have multiplied the nation. The gospel goes forth. Gentiles, these people who are not God's people, are brought into the fold, and the kingdom of God grows exponentially. Over the last couple thousand years, more and more people have been brought into this nation. You have multiplied the nation. You and I get to be part of this nation because of Christ. We get to be part of this kingdom because of Christ. We are part of the fulfillment of that prophecy. You have multiplied the nation because of your death. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we all get to come. And we get to approach the throne of grace with boldness and confidence to find help and help and mercy in our time of need. So again, there's joy in the light. Why? Because as a result of that, they should have joy. You have increased its joy and they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. You see, the nation was expecting, like, you know what? God is going to come back. The Messiah is going to come. He's going to free us. It will be a joyous time. The nation will thrive and it'll be like the best harvest we've ever had. You know, we will, we will shout for joy. And we will rejoice because God is with us once again. Because God is redeeming us. Because God has made new our nation. But like I said, we jump to the New Testament and we see how Christ changes everything. And this is no longer necessarily a physical nation at the moment, but it's a spiritual one. So I challenge you, Christian, where is your joy? Do we rejoice because of who 
Christ is? Do we rejoice because, because we get to be part of that family, because we get to be part of this kingdom? Do we rejoice as if we've had the best harvest of the year? You know, or do we allow our circumstances and things of this world to get to us? Because not just that, not only are they rejoicing with the harvest, but they are glad when they divide the spoil. Think about when you read in the Old Testament, you know, if you're familiar with it, you, you see the stories in the book of Joshua and the stories, you know, of the judges or whenever they would go and they would conquer these nations, these other cities, these other areas, and they would bring back the spoils and the nation would rejoice. They would praise God. And that's what he's referencing. It's going to be a time where they are praising God. It's going to be a time where it's, it's celebratory. And, you know, it's not what they expected, though. You know, Christ changed it. Christ changed all of it. The gospel changes. It changed the situation. And that's why the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders in the New Testament had such a hard time understanding what Jesus was doing. Because it didn't match up to what they expected. You know? And then he keeps going in verse 4. He says, For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. So when he talks about that day of Midian, he's talking about Gideon, the story of Gideon, where the Midianites would come and they would take everything that the nation had. The nation would do, do their harvest. They would have plenty. The Midianites would come. They'd take it all and leave barely anything. They were constantly being oppressed. They were constantly being enslaved by these Midianites, being taken advantage of. You know, Isaiah is going, he's referencing everything that represents oppression. He is referencing their time in Egypt. He's referencing the, the different periods throughout the judges. He's referencing the fact that Assyria is going to come and they're going to be once again oppressed. But he's saying there's going to be joy though. Joy in the light because you know what? God is going to break all this. God is going to break the yoke He's going to break the rod. He's going to break the staff. And you will be redeemed. This morning, you and I, we have the, because of Christ, we're no longer burdened with, with being bound by sin. We have the ability to call on the name of Jesus Christ and to be free. We have the ability to lay down our burdens, to lay down our hurts, to lay down our pains because of Jesus Christ. In Matthew, he says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him, he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Are we taking advantage of that this morning? Or are we choosing to pick up our, our, our bags? Are we choosing to carry that weight that Christ says gives to me and say, no, I got this. You know, I can work for my salvation. I can, I can do all that. I can check all the boxes. I'm good to go. I don't need to be weak. I don't need your help. I can do it. Isaiah's trying to tell him that you can't do it. You need the light. The light that is coming is Christ and he's going to shine on this land and all these things are going to be the effects of that. There will be joy in the light. This morning, if you don't know Christ, I cannot say this more, you know, more times than not. If you can't, if you don't know Christ, you have the ability to lay down those burdens this morning. You have the ability to lay down the weight of sin and to say, you know what, Christ, I need you. I ask you to forgive me of my sins and to help me be who you call me to be.
You know, it's, it's a time of joy. You know, I don't know where we're at this morning. Like I said, this, this season, this year has not been fantastic for me, but you know what? I'm able to have joy because of Christ. And it's not joy. Let's clarify. Joy is not necessarily that giddiness that you're just like, oh my gosh, let me slap on a smile. Let me be, I gotta be joyful. <clears throat> I'm gonna, I'm gonna be in front of people. Let me go. Let me just, you know, hit your cheeks, get all joyful and red. You know, it's not what it's about. What it, what it does, though, is it, it teaches you that it's okay to not be okay, first off. It's okay to say, you know what? I'm not necessarily happy at the moment, but I have the joy of the Lord within my soul. It's the, that joy is what's going to keep you afloat in the hard times. It's not that we don't feel emotions. It's not that we don't deal with those emotions. It's not that we don't face heartache or trials or tribulations. But what it does is it's that float. It's that flotation device that says, you know what, God, right now Right now it sucks, but you are enough. Even if you doubt whether God is enough, that's okay. You can ask him, God, help me to know that you're enough. Meet me where I'm at. That is part of what Jesus is talking about, laying down. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He offers peace and he offers joy to those who are willing to call upon his name. He's willing to trade that. See, he already, he traded his, his righteousness already. He stepped down from heaven. He stepped down from his comfort, took on flesh to become man, to live a perfect life and die for you and I. He was risen again on the third day and now he sits interceding for us. You know, and in his future kingdom, as we keep going in this passage, in verse 5, it says, For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle to molt, and every garment rolled in blood, will be burned as for fuel, as fuel for the fire. What that's saying is it's going to be a great time of peace. It's going to be a time where war is no more. It's going to be a time where chaos is no more. It's going to be a time where we don't need the boots for battle because it's over. We don't need the garments for battle because it's over. Clearly. That's not today. You know, you look around and you see in the world there's chaos. You look around and you see in the world the hurt and the pain and just what sin has done and sin continues to do. What that does, though, is it paints us a portrait of what Christ's kingdom is going to look like, what the Messiah's kingdom is going to look like. That's why Isaiah is telling them it's going to be really dark. There is hope. When the light comes, there will be joy. And this is what you have to look forward to, a time of blessing, a time where you thrive, a time where Christ is reigning and ruling, and a a time where oppression is over, a time where peace is at hand, and a time where we don't need to fight anymore because there will be no wars, there will be no, all things will be made new and all of this will be gone. That is what we have to look forward to this season. That is what we have to look forward to on a daily basis. And that is why we take communion. You know, at the end of communion, at the end of that passage in 1 Corinthians, he says, do this as often, as often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. We are remembering that the fact of, that Jesus says, I will not do this again until I am with you in my kingdom. You know, we have, we don't get to experience that physical part just yet because Christ has not returned. But when he does, when he does, it's going to be a time like none else. It's going to be a time when everything is made new, when things are restored, when sin is broken, when hurts and pains are gone. And all the sorrows that this world throws at us, all the heartache that we see from sin will be done away with. And it will be a time where we won't need the stuff for battle. We won't need the stuff for, for the wars. 
It'll be a time of great rejoicing, of thriving because the kingdom of God is upon us. Where we can actually lay down our hurts, we can lay down these burdens, and we can say, you know what, God? It's just good to be home. That is what Isaiah is telling them. He's trying to give them this image saying, you know what? Hang tight because it's going to get dark. There's going to be hope, but there's also going to be joy. For you this morning, if you are in Christ, you have joy and you have hope. So hang tight because God is not done with you yet. One of my favorite quotes of all times. Let me see if I can find it in here. I have it somewhere. But um, one of my favorite quotes is, says, I am immortal until God's work for me to do is done. I am immortal until God's work for me to do is done. Why? Because it counts on the sovereignty of God. It says, you know what? Nothing can happen to me until God says I'm good to go. What that does, it says, God, I trust you. I know that you are the sovereign one. I know that you are the one who created this plan from the book of Genesis all the way through in that you will sustain me. You are not surprised by any of the choices I make. You are not surprised by anything that happens to me in this world. So I will trust you and I will continue to hang fast and hang tight. That's what that is saying. And that's what Isaiah is telling him. Like, listen, God is not done with you. God is not done with you. And so he's trying to help them set their eyes on what, it, what they have in the future because the present is about to get dark on them. You know, so we can relate. You know, as we go throughout life, there's going to be seasons where it's dark. There's going to be seasons where we are discouraged, but we have to hold fast to the fact that, you know what, God is still in control. God has a plan. He is not surprised by anything. And that he, he's walking through it with us. This message is building on last week's message where he introduces this child of God with us, Emmanuel. And what Isaiah is doing here is he's saying, God is still with you. Despite the darkness, God is still going to be there. God's plans are not thwarted. He has you. And so he's building them up. He's trying to help them to have the message they need to keep going. Which brings us to our final point this morning. Our final point is confidence in the sun. He wants them to hope in the darkness, joy in the light, but then he also wants to build their confidence in this son that he has previously spoken about. In chapter 9, verse 6, he tells them, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and on the government, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You see, he's adding on. He's building on the shroud. He says, okay, now this Emmanuel, this is who he will be. He will be a son. It's like, okay, great. You told us that the first time. But what kind of son? You know, he... He's trying, he's giving more details here. It's a son who will be of royalty. The government shall be upon his shoulders, meaning he will have the weight of the world upon him. He will have the weight of ruling, the weight of royalty, the weight of majesty upon him because he will not just be an ordinary person, but he will be royal. He will be kingly. He will be one who has the responsibility to do far more than what a normal, or a normal individual would have. And as we jump forward to the New Testament, we realize that this, this child is Jesus. We realize that this Jesus is more than just an ordinary child, is more than just an ordinary man. 
He will be the Savior of the world. He is the Savior of the world. He is both the Messiah and He is the Lord. And so that government will be on His shoulder, and His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. So Wonderful Counselor, super complex, y'all. So what, it, what, what this means, this wonderful aspect, means it's marvelous. Imagine that. It's marvelous. He's amazing. He's doing far more than what anybody ever could think or imagine. You know, think about it. Whenever we first see Jesus at the age of 12, he's sitting down with the Jewish teachers and he is just astounding them. And from that point on, it says he grows in wisdom and stature before both man and God. And then when he comes back and he starts his public ministry, he starts doing these miracles. He starts doing all these things that are amazing and wonderful and marvelous and miraculous. And they're like, who is this man? Not only that, but he is a wonderful counselor. He is brilliant. He is wise beyond all measure. He is pulling things out of the book of Isaiah that they've never seen or thought of before. Like, whoa, how how does this possibly line up with the law that we know or the law that we expected or the prophecies that we thought would happen? How is it that you are going to fulfill this, but in a different way than we expect? He is the wonderful counselor. He is the one that we pray to. He is the one that when we see in the book of James, he says, God will give wisdom to all willingly as long as you come and you ask. He is the one that we have to bank on. He is our Messiah. He is our Lord. He is our Savior and King. He is the wonderful counselor. But not just that, he is mighty God. Mighty God references his power and and his might as one who is able to conquer, as one who is a conquering king, one who has all authority, all power, and the strength to do whatever needs to be done. And we see that. You know, as, as we read in the Gospels, we, we read the story of Jesus and we see, you know what, at any point, he could have called angels down to take him off that cross. At any point, he could have done whatever, whatever he needed to do. We see, you know, there's in one of the stories where they have him at a cliff and it says he just kind of walks right through them and goes on his way. He could have done that instead of taking up his cross. You know, when he prays, he, he harnesses his power and he says, you know, what? I'm not going to use power. I'm going to use, he says, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. I will submit myself to you. And what happens? He's sweating drops of blood. And it says that God sends angels to minister to his soul and his spirit. He chooses not to use his mighty power. He chooses to set that aside to be the humble Messiah that we need, to be the one to die on the cross for you and I. He even tells Peter, when, when they come to take Jesus and Peter cuts off the servant's ear, he picks it up, puts it back on, and he says, Peter, put the sword away. Put it away. Now is not the time for that. And he willingly goes. He, he, he goes meek. He takes that power and control, and he dies on the cross for you and I. That is the mighty God. And, but we will see when he returns that he will come in full power. He will come reigning and glorious and in awe because of who he, who he is. But not just that. We see that he is the everlasting father. This everlasting father, this is mind-blowing. Why? Because what it does is it's Isaiah telling him, listen, he is going to be one with God the Father. This is the second person of the Trinity. He's not just a son, but he is the son of God. He is this Jesus Christ, second person of the Trinity. He is eternal. That's what that everlasting aspect is talking about. He is going to be one with God himself. El Elohim, the one that he 
Elohim, there we go, sorry, El Elohim, the one that we see referenced in the Old Testament, that very God is the one that is going to take on flesh. So Isaiah is saying this son, God with us, is literally going to be God with us. It's going to be the very God that we serve coming down to be with you. The wonderful counselor, mighty God, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace. He will reign and he will rule in peace and in righteousness. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. His kingdom is going to be a kingdom that reigns, that lasts for all eternity. No one is going to overtake it. Once it is established, once it is made here upon earth, when, it, when he comes back and he makes all things new and he redeems the world and sin is no more, sickness is no more, cancer is no more, these different aspects of the world are no more and everything is made perfect once again. It will be characterized by righteousness and by justice because that is the king that we serve. That is the Messiah that we serve. Oftentimes we think, man, that would be great. Why doesn't he do that now? He's come back. God, why don't you just come back? Why, why do I have to go through what I'm going through right now? Why do you, you allow sin to continue to get worse? Why do you allow the world to continue to get worse? You've already fulfilled part of this. When are you going to do the rest? And we get an answer to that in 2 Peter chapter 3. It says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with the roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. The reason why he doesn't come back immediately is for you and for me. So that way we would have the opportunity to accept the salvation. It's out of compassion so that none should perish, but that all should come to know him, so that all should come to be his children, so that all should come to be able to be part of this kingdom of righteousness, to be able to experience the world as it was meant to be, in complete perfection, with righteousness and justice. So if you are here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, he might be waiting for you. You might be here at this very moment to hear this message that God loves you. He died for you, and he wants to redeem you. It's only up to you to accept that gift. It's up to you to ask in faith, God, forgive me, help me to live for you. I accept your sacrifice and I, I wanna live for you. I wanna be the man or the woman you've called me to be. Help me to enter this kingdom because I wanna experience this joy. I wanna experience this rest. I wanna have this hope in a time of darkness and I want to have confidence in the sun. And lastly, this last part of this verse, I love it, because they can have confidence in the Son. Why? Because the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It says God himself, God's zeal for his glory, God's zeal for his own plan is the guarantee that this is going to happen. The very God who spoke the world into existence, who chose to allow us to come into existence, who chose to not start over just because Adam and Eve sinned, but said, you know what? That's fine. I got a plan for that. That's fine. There will be a son. His zeal for himself, for his glory, for his plans, for all of that to come to fruition is what is going to make this happen. So he's saying, so you can have confidence. You and I can have confidence in this plan and in this prophecy 
because God is going to bring it about. It's not left up to man. It's not left up to, you know, ah, if he feels like it. No, it's saying God's zeal for himself, for himself to be glorified is what is going to bring this about. So we have a hope. We have joy. And we can be confident in the Son. We can be confident that, you know, God has us, that God is still with us no matter what. And we can be confident that he will bring it to fruition. And so as we get ready to take communion, as we prepare our hearts and minds, you know, if you don't take anything else from this message, I want you to understand this, that Jesus Christ loves you, that God is still with you no matter what is happening, no matter what is going on. If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ this morning, this morning is your opportunity. That God waits patiently for people to respond before he comes back, before Jesus comes back, before the inauguration of this physical kingdom in that way. So this morning, as Wesley said last week, God with us, Emmanuel, this morning God is still with us. And we can trust that because God is going to bring about his plan because he is the sovereign one, he is the creator of the world, and he loves you and I. Thank you for listening to this episode of King's Church DC podcast. If this sermon encouraged you, please like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast. For more information on our church and service times, please visit kingschurchdc.com. We hope you will join us again next week.